Good morning, One Church. How y'all doing? Fantastic. I got a question before we move forward. Do we have any owners in the house? Let me hear you. Come on now. We're talking this entire month about being an owner here at onechurch.tv. Now, let me tell you what that is. If you missed last week, you're going, why is he so crazy and yelling at me? Well, let me tell you. We believe here at One Church, we don't have members. We have owners. Now, let me tell you what the difference is. Members, they have rights. It's kind of like a club. It's kind of us versus them. That's not us here at One Church. We believe that all of us, we have an, we're owner mentality. And we have, we have these responsibilities that God is calling all of us to. How many of y'all ever rented a car and ragged it out? Let me see your hands. Thank you. One honest person. Somebody, I saw you. Come on, Scotty. Come on, baby. All right. Or how many of y'all, you borrowed a car from somebody? Maybe you borrowed a Corvette from somebody, and you're like, I wonder how, I wonder how fast this thing will go, right? All right. Let me tell you, or you rented, a, you rented an apartment, you rented a house. You know, there's just something about when you rent something, and it's not yours, you just treat it differently, don't you? You just do. All right, um, and, and, and that's what we're, we're, we're challenging you this series to move from being a renter here at One Church to being an owner because we believe that all of us, we have a place that we could do something amazing. Now, before I dig too much into this today, I want to tell you what we're going to be talking about next week because as you guys leave here, we're, you're going to be getting, giving a, getting a sheet of paper and I'm asking all of you guys to grab this sheet of paper and to fill it out and bring it back next Sunday. It's homework. Now, some of you are going, I don't know you like that, right? I, I, you know, I have, I've been out of school for a while, and I hear that, but this is homework that you can't fail on. It's just, it is a tool for you to discover what you like doing. Now, let me tell you why that's important is because next week, I'm going to challenge everybody, everybody say everybody. I'm going to challenge everybody to get off the bench and to join a team. And let me tell you what that's going to look like is I don't want to put you working with babies if you don't like working with babies, right? I don't, if you're not a people person, we don't want you as a greeter. We just don't. We're not in here to, to plug holes in a dam. That's not what we're doing at all. In fact, we don't have a lot of holes right now, praise God. Right? But what I am going to challenge you, it's not what I want. I want something from you. It's, I want something for you. And I want you guys to find a place on a team that's going to love on you. And this, you taking this sheet of paper and filling it out and bringing it back, you're going to say, okay, I think I might like doing this. Or I might like doing this. So I'm going to challenge you before you come back next week to make sure to bring that piece of paper, fill it out, and bring it back. You got any questions? Uh, you're welcome to uh, text me or email me. Totally can do that. All right? Now, let's get back to where we kind of ended last week. Our mission here at One Church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Can we say that together? To lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week, and we talked about what does a growing relationship with Jesus Christ look like? Because a lot of different churches and a lot of different denominations define that a lot of different ways. Well, we define it here at One Church based on relationships. We call it the three vital relationships. And this is what we talked about last week, that God wants an intimate relationship with him. Our intimacy with God is the first one. And we talked all about how last week you can have an intimate relationship with God. Now, the next two is where we're going to be unpacking today. 
and we're going to have community with insiders. That's where you get along with people inside the church. If you've grown up in church, you know sometimes that can be more of a struggle than not. Anybody know what I'm saying? All right. And then this last one is influence with outsiders. So we believe what a growing relationship looks like is that you have intimacy with God, community with insiders, and influence with outsiders. Now, some of you, you, you know, maybe you've not been to church in a while or maybe you've never been to church and you think, influence with outsiders, what does that mean? Well, it's like this. God wants us to connect with people outside the church, outside of faith, to connect with people who have no relationship with God and to leverage, to influence them, to leverage that relationship and point them towards Jesus. Now, again, if this is your first time here at One Church, or maybe you've been bounced out of church for a while and you're just now coming back, that word influence with outsiders, where do you get that term? I mean, it almost kind of sounds like an, an offensive term. Where do you get that? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's a guy by the name of Paul who wrote in one verse in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, and I'm going to throw this over the screen, and let me tell you what's so cool about Paul. Paul, that didn't always used to be his name. His name used to be Saul, and he used to be an outsider. If you ask Saul, hey, Saul, do you love Jesus? Are you part of Christianity? Are you part of the church? He would say, no, I'm an outsider. But Paul, Saul met Jesus. He changed his name to Paul, and he started planting all these churches, and this is what he wrote in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, Paul says, be wise in the way you act towards who? outsiders making the most of every opportunity. And again, that word outsiders is so interesting because if you're in the room and you're not a Christian, you're the people that Paul is talking about. And again, it may be a little offensive to be called an outsider. I mean, should we be calling people outsiders? But here's the thing I know about you. I imagine that if you are here today and you're not a Christian, you probably feel a little bit like an outsider. In fact, before you came to church today, you might have told your friends, you know, I think I'm going to feel like an outsider walking into your church. When I invite people to one church, one of the pushbacks I hear is this, you know what, I'm kind of an outsider faith. I'm not really a church person. I'm not really a whole God Christianity type of person. And if you feel that way, I am so glad you're here today. This is a great day for you to visit onechurch.tv because you may think that we have it all together. You may think that us church people, that we're so religious and we're so good. And let me tell you, I'm just going to go ahead and bust that bubble. There ain't none of us in here that's good. In fact, ladies, if you're an outsider and you brought your purse today, I would keep that purse even closer beside you because some of our people are so jacked up, they will take stuff out of that purse. I'm just telling you. Some of you, you're better than the people that are in here who've been going to church for years. Why? Because none of us are that good. None of us are that good. If you feel like an outsider sometimes when it comes to faith, you're in good company because there are a lot of people in our community and we know there are a lot of people of you in the room and we're so glad you're here. But what Paul is writing in Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 and following, he's really writing it to Christians, to Christ followers. And he's saying, I want you to be wise how you act towards people who feel outside of the faith. I mean, make the most of every opportunity, it says. Now, how do you make the most of every opportunity? He actually, Paul tells us in the next verse. He says this, let your what? Conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. 
How you make the most of every opportunity is having conversations with people. Now, let me tell you, he could have said, you know what? Let your talking be seasoned with salt. Or let what we say. But he said, he used the word conversation. What is a conversation? Well, a conversation is different than talking. Conversation is really the journey of talking. Conversations take a long time. Conversations cover a span of time. A lot of conversations have beginnings, but many of them don't have endings. Conversations happen with people, not at people. Conversations are like journeys. There are twists and turns. There's highs and lows. There are agreements, and sometimes there are disagreements. But here's what you and I both know, that there's a lot of listening in a conversation there are, there's a lot of seeking to understand in a conversation. But here's, again, what you and I know about a conversation. Conversations are really the key to connections. Conversations lead to connections. If you want to connect with anyone relationally, then you're going to have to have a conversation with them. Now, let's look at the next part of this verse because it continues. Let your conversations be always Full of grace, that's love, seasoned with salt, that's truth, so that you may know how to what? So that you may know how to what? Thank you. Now, do you, quick question, leave this on the screen. Do any of y'all ever feel like that you could answer everyone about any spiritual question? Let me see your hands. And I, I'm, my hand's not raised. Okay? Because here's the thing about that. I don't even know if that's possible. I mean, Paul, you wrote something out there, and when it comes to questions about God and faith, I don't even think it's, I don't even think it's even possible to have all the answers. When Paul, should, should we say we should have an answer for everyone? I mean, that sounds so ridiculous, Paul. I don't even know if that's achievable. And if you're here, and if you are an outsider, probably one of the reasons why you're not a believer is because you've got questions. Part of the reason why you're having trouble putting your faith in Jesus is because you have questions. And as Christians, we know some things, but there's some things we really just don't know and we have to take it on faith. I mean, questions. All of us have questions. Do you know that I have questions? I'm a pastor, and I got questions. Let me tell you, I thought, and I really did believe this, when I graduated Austin P, I was going to go to seminary. So I went to seminary. I got my master's degree in theology. Doesn't that sound important? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go for four years, and all of my questions will be answered. Right. Let me tell you. Some of my questions were answered. Many of them, many of my questions just got more complicated. And I, I mean, if you've got problems and questions about faith, hang out with me for five minutes. I can give you a whole lot more, right? I mean, I, I walked away thinking, man, I feel like I know more about God and Jesus and the Bible, but I still got questions. And I've been to cemetery, right? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Paul, he says this, that he's not saying that we're supposed to have the answer to every question. That's not what it says. It doesn't say so that you may know how to answer every question. What Paul is saying is that we are to answer, have an answer to every person. And that is different. Because as Christians, we all have an answer. If you're a Christ follower in here, you have an answer. You have an answer to every objection. You have an answer to every argument. You have an answer to every person. 
And here's the cool thing about it. You already know the answer. If you're a Christ follower, you already know the answer. You want to know what it is? It's your story. It is your story. You know, people can argue about a lot of different things. They can argue about the Bible. They can argue about Jesus. They can argue about denominations. Let me tell you the one thing that people can't argue with, and that is your story. It's how God has changed you. It's all about your story. Here's our big idea today. Your story could be the difference in someone else's life. Your story could be the difference in someone else's life. Answer people with your story. I think your story is the answer to everyone. Your story is the answer because we can argue about facts and figures. We can argue about the Bible. We can argue about translations. We can argue about denominations. We can argue about creation and evolution. We can argue about why is there pain and suffering in the world. We can argue how come televangelists have really bad hair pieces. We can argue about a lot of different things. But let me tell you, the one thing that we can't argue about is what Jesus has done in your life. No one can argue and dismiss your story because we can argue about what Jesus did, but we can't argue about what Jesus has done in your life because you as a Christian, you once was lost, but now you're found. You once was blind, but now you see, and Jesus has made all of the difference. That's your story. Your story can make a difference in somebody else's life. Now, that's the verses. Let me show you a story in the Bible that did just that, made all of the difference. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Mark. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be at. If you have your phones, go ahead and get your phones out and download the Bible app, and you can follow along with us there. Mark chapter 4. And let me give you some, just some background as you're turning to Mark. I don't hear a lot of people turning. So, and I don't see a lot of people getting out your phones. So get those in. Let me see your phones. Come on now. All right, part of people in the house say ho. All right, good. All right. Don't know where that came from. All right, so let me tell you a little bit about Mark. Uh, Mark is a guy by the name of John Mark, and he wrote an account of Jesus' life. We actually have not one, but four accounts of Jesus' life written from four different perspectives. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, here's the cool thing about Mark. Mark is the shortest of all the Gospels. So if you ever want to know a lot about Jesus, but you got a short amount of time, dig into Mark, right? His favorite word he likes is immediately. And the reason why he says immediately, he's fast-paced. He's a blowing and a going. He's bebopping and scatting. But Mark, he's writing, and in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, we're going to be digging in to Jesus and how he interacts with his disciples. Now, let me tell you a little bit about there, because if you're not... If you don't know a lot, about, a lot about God and church, let me explain that. Jesus chose 12 people to kind of be his insiders. And Jesus hung out with these 12 for three and a half years, day in and day out, Monday through Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. He just went on for three and a half years living with Jesus. And they would travel around. They would do miracles. And Jesus would preach. I mean, it was the coolest thing. But in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, this verse, it's a verse we're going to look at that really is a big deal, but when we read it, it doesn't seem that big of a deal. Let's look at it. It says this. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Isn't that awesome? Let's just pray and let's just go home. Dear Jesus, 
And you're thinking, okay, what's the point of that? Well, when you, when normally we would just skip over a verse like that because it doesn't seem like a big deal. But if you were di- the disciples, you would understand that that was a really, really big deal because, and let me tell you a little bit about where they're at. They're at a place called the Sea of Galilee. And, and, and by the way, anybody ever been to Lake Barkley or maybe some type of sea or lake? Let me see your hands. Okay, almost all of us, all right? Um, you know, when you're on one side of the lake and you cross over the other side of the lake, you pretty much see the same groups of people, right? They're kind of the same people. If you're at Lake Barkley, you're in Stewart County, um, and, 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 you, and you cross over the other side of the lake, you're going to see the same groups of people. I'm being nice right now. Some of you are like, you think I'm going to crack? I'm not going to do that. So anyway, it's just the same groups of people, right? Well, in Jesus' time, it wasn't that way because across the Sea of Galilee was a totally different group of people because Jesus' crew lived on one side of the sea. They lived on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jerusalem, that's where the Jewish people lived. That's where the religion kind of all is really big. I mean, that, that was on the western side. So Jesus, the disciples, Jerusalem, the temple, you know, all of this stuff, all the good stuff's happening on the western side. But on the other side, these people were hellraisers. These people, we call them the Decapolis. And let me tell you a little bit about the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a group of, of 10 cities that was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, these were where the Greco-Roman lives. They, these were Gentiles, not Jews. They were, the, they were the antithesis antithesis of Jews and their beliefs. I mean, here is where they, you, you worshipped, you know, all kinds of idols. They had temple prostitution, right? I mean, their idea, let's worship, you know, Mars, Zeus, and Athena by just having a bunch of crazy sex. And, they, I mean, these people were crazy people, right? I mean, those were some of the them in your life, right? I mean, th- these were the people who were the, I mean, had different morals, different values. They voted different. They were just different. And Jesus is saying, hey, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. <laughs> now, what's so, and, and, and the, the disciples are going, you don't want to do that. I mean, hanging in the Decapolis is this big sign. What happens in the Decapolis stays in the Decapolis. I mean, it was some jacked up stuff happening there. And yet Jesus saying, let's go over there. And the disciples are going, no, we don't want to do that. I mean, let's stay with our side, with our people, with our values, the people we agree with. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Let's move over. And the disciples, no, no, no. But, Jesus, best case scenario, we're going to feel uncomfortable and we're not going to be welcomed. Worst case, we're all going to die. We're going to be murdered. I mean, this was the other side of the tracks, if you will. And Jesus suggests, guys, I got an idea. Let's go to the other side. And no one was excited about this field trip. No one. The disciples weren't stoked about the idea, and they whined and complained the entire time. Let me just hit the pause button. As, as a Christ follower, I want you to answer this question. In your mind, who is the other side? Who are the people that you say, it's them, them. It's the other side. It, it's their values and their voting and their, who is that? Who's the they in your life? or the them, that you don't agree with their behavior, you don't like the choices they make, you just don't like them. I mean, for some of you, it's 
people, and maybe across your street in your neighborhood, and maybe on the other side of your neighborhood. It may be somebody across, you know, on a, in another unit if you're in the army. It may be somebody in another part of the job. For others of you, it may be somebody on the other part of the house, right? Guys, for you, mother-in-law, done. Just saying, right? That's the them. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to go to the them. And he, that's where he takes his disciples. So they get in the boat. This huge storm comes up. Jesus comes up and says, storm. And the storm goes, right? It's really cool. You ought to read your Bible. And then in Mark chapter 5, this is what happens. So they arrived at the what? Other side in the region of the Gerasenes when Jesus climbed out of the boat. A man possessed by an evil spirit, came out of a cemetery to meet him. And the disciples said, Jesus, see? This is the reason why we didn't want to go to the job. We got Mr. Cray Cray here coming out, and he is possessed by an evil spirit. I mean, he's living, he's coming out of a what? Cemetery to meet them. I mean, it's a, it's a graveyard out there, right? So the disciples are all lighting into Jesus saying, see, I told you so. We shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have done it. And Mark goes on to say, describes this guy this way. Look how it describes Mr. Cray Cray. This man lived among the burial caves and, and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, that means he was in jail a lot. Anybody got any family people like that? Tell the truth, shame the devil. There you go, all right? He snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. Next verse. No one was strong enough to subdue him. I mean, he had some Hulk stuff going on here, right? Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills doing what? Oh, that ain't normal. Not even for Stewart County. Howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. That's crazy, howling at the moon. I mean, this guy probably looked like Captain Caveman. He's out of his mind crazy. And they would bind him and change, and he would break free. And no one could control him. He was out of control. In fact, if we had a scale of 1 to 10, and 10 being like Jesus, and 1 being nothing like Jesus, this dude was like a negative 18, right? He was totally unlike Jesus, and he was out of his mind. He was right? He was. Verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him. Who's the him? Jesus. And bowed low before Jesus. And with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Let's talk about that. Because every time anyone with an impure spirit, every time somebody who had a demon living inside, every time a demon saw Jesus, they immediately knew who Jesus was. They immediately knew that he was the son of the most high God. They always begged for mercy. These spirits and demons knew who was in charge, and it wasn't them. It was Jesus. Jesus is large, and he is in charge, and they are begging Jesus be merciful, be merciful. And look at what, I think that's so cool. So many times we think, you know, the enemy and Satan and all this stuff, we think that's more powerful. Incorrect, incorrect. Anytime Jesus shows up, 
you got all the weird, freaky, satanic demon people going, yes, Mr. Jesus, come on in, Mr. Jesus. You know, that's what they're doing. And look at what Jesus does. Next verse. Jesus demanded, what is your name? And here the disciples are going, good grief. What is, what is he doing? We are on the other side, and Mr. Crazy out there is howling at the moon and cutting himself, and he's got chain links everywhere. And Jesus is carrying on a conversation with this dude. Cray cray. He's talking to the naked guy with the long hair, with the beard. I mean, it's just, it's weird. And Jesus is going, hey, I want to talk with this dude. Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside of this man. Now, he probably said it like this. My name is Legion. I mean, right? How many of y'all like horror fl- films? All right? Exorcist, haunting, poltergeist. Well, I mean, this, I mean, here is somebody. Here's you. you may like a horror flick, but you don't want to live a horror flick. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And that's exactly what's happening here. In fact, he says, how are you doing? And, and Mr. Legion says, we are doing fine. Well, pause. If you ask me, Chris, how are you doing? And I'm going, we are good. That's when you go, we're done here. All right? There is no we. It's just me, you, it's I. It's singular. And no, this dude is plural. All right? And let me tell you the reason why it's plural. Because that word legion, it it, it had a lot of meaning in the first century because it was a Roman world, a Roman word in the first century in the Roman army, a grouping of soldiers was called a legion when they had reached 6,000 soldiers. So here this guy has 6,000 demons and spirits living inside of him. He is crazy. And notice what happens. Jesus has a conversation with him. Jesus has compassion for him. And Jesus decides to cast out the demon. That's what he did. When Jesus cast out the demons out, he sent all of these demons into a herd of pigs, and the pigs were not excited at all about this newfound possession. So they rushed down the bank into the water, and they all died. Well, that made all the pig farmers mad in the area. Seriously, I can't even make this up. Read your Bibles, right? Made all the pig farmers mad, So they went back to the city to tell everybody what happened. And now the whole city is angry because now there's a bacon shortage in the Decapolis. Right? So they all rush back to where Jesus is. They want to find out what happened. Look what it says. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who, look at these next word, who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was doing what? Sitting there, fully clothed, and what? Perfectly sane, and they were all what? Time out. Okay. They're afraid now? Right, they got Mr. Legion, naked dude, hairy dude, shackles, cutting, howling at the mood, and that's normal for them? Really? I mean, this, this is, and now Mr. Legion, and, and, and I'm sure he's introducing himself, hey, my name's not Legion, call me Larry. My name's Larry. 
Now Mr. Legion's there. He's got clothes on. He's got khakis and a polo, and he's sitting down going, tell me that again, right? And they're afraid there. They're afraid. They're scared. I mean, that seems kind of different, but you know what? It kind of makes sense because how many of us have been in a Jesus moment and got a little uncomfortable and got scared? Look what happens. Verse 16. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man. They said, hey, you know Legion dude? <laughs> Larry, right? And told them about the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to do what? To go away and leave them alone? And the disciples are going, that's what we've been trying to tell you all the time. Jesus, let's leave. Let's get out of this place. These people aren't normal, right? So that's what Jesus does. Jesus packs up and he leaves. And what we're going to see over the next few months, he does, Jesus is active doing a lot of different things. He feeds the 5,000. He heals a woman who's basically lost all hope. He raises a girl from the dead. He, another storm comes along, and Jesus calms the storm. In fact, he walks out on the storm, and Peter starts walking out on the water with him. I mean, all kinds of cool things happened over the months it's happened. But then let me show you something amazing that happens just a few chapters over. A few months later, Jesus decides, hey, let's go back across the lake again. And the disciples are going, really? Right? Look at what it says. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and they anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people did what? Recognized Jesus. As soon as they got out of the boat, boat people recognized Jesus. They remembered him. Look what happens next. This is so amazing. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever he, he was at. And wherever he went, into the villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick on market, in the marketplaces. They begged him, look at this, not to leave. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak because all that touched him were what? How did that happen? How did that happen? How did everybody recognize him? I mean, he had, the last time he had crossed over, everybody was going, you got to get out of here, Jesus. This stuff is weird, and we don't like you. And they all you know, were begging him to leave. And now, he's went over just a few months later, and everybody's going, Jesus! Hey, remember me? Yeah, come on! Hey, I got this, I got this toe jam thing that if you could just work out, right? And everybody is bringing all of the sick to them. Everybody is just flocking around Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, before they were scared out of their head. They were scared and they were afraid. They wanted him to leave. But, but what's made the difference? What made the difference of, okay, I want you out of here to, hey, come on back. And, and, and bringing all the sick and the poor and the people who need to be healed. Just to touch Jesus' cloak. Just a few months have passed. What made the difference? What happened? What made them change their minds about Jesus? What made the difference? And I'll give you the answer. It was Larry. It was Larry. Larry made the difference. I mean Legion. I mean Larry. In fact, we saw the end of the story. Let's go back to Mark 5. And now Legion... It's not Legion anymore. He's Larry. He's got khakis, polo, sitting there talking with Jesus. 
And look at what Larry asked Jesus. He says this. As Jesus was getting to the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, used to be Legion, now Larry, begged to go with him. Larry says, Jesus, I'm begging you. I want to go with you. I still got so much to learn. I, I, I want to love you more. I want to follow you. You've changed my life. You've changed my heart. You've made me new again. Can I go with you? Can I be with you? But look at what Jesus tells him. But Jesus said what? Really? Jesus said no. I don't want you to leave where you're at. I want you to stay exactly where you're at. No. Go home to your own people and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So look what the guy does. Look what Larry does. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region, the Decapolis, and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And look at this. And everyone was amazed at what he had told them. What was the difference? Well, it's pretty obvious. Larry was the difference. And not just Larry, but Larry's story made the difference. He did exactly what Jesus asked him to. He went back to the Decapolis. He told the people what Jesus had done for him. Larry's story made the difference. Can you just imagine? Imagine Larry walking around telling people what had happened. <laughs> imagine that. I mean, can you imagine how those conversations must have sounded? Can you imagine how those interactions must have looked? They see Legion Walking to the streets, he's fully clothed in khakis and a polo, handing out tracks. And they are scared at first because they got every reason to be scared because he's a little what? Right? And this dude is crazy. He's crazy. And, and, and they go up. Legion? I used to be Legion. Name's Larry. And Larry has conversations with people. He's willing to talk to anyone who's around him. He has conversations with him. People will come up and ask him, hey, Mr. Legion, I used to be Legion. My name is Larry. Just call me Larry. Okay, I got some questions, Larry. Larry says, I got some questions too. Um, sure, go ahead and shoot. Uh, well, here's my first question, Larry. Uh, how did Jesus heal you? Well, that's, that's kind of a good question. You know, I really don't know how Jesus healed me, but here's what I do know. I once was Legion, and now I'm Larry. And Jesus has made all the difference. Okay, another person. Uh, Mr. Legion, just call me Larry. Okay, cool. Uh, listen, uh, I got a question, uh, Larry. Um, was the earth, was it created in seven literal days, or did it take seven million years? Larry says, you know what, I've been like a, a Christian for like a day, so I don't really know. Um, but here's what I do know. I once was Legion, and now I'm Larry. And Jesus has made all the difference. Excuse me, yes, you in the back. Um, hello, my name is Dave. Hey, Dave, my name's Larry. Please don't call me Legion, I'm Larry. Sweet, okay. Hey, listen, here's the thing. I got a question for you, uh, Mr. Larry. Um, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a good question, Dave. Um, you know, I, I don't, really don't have the answer. You know, I, was, I had 6,000 demons inside of me. That was really a bummer. That was a bad day, right? 
It really was. And I don't know, I can't answer your question, but here's what I can answer. I once was Legion, now I'm Larry. And Jesus has made all the difference. You know, if you're a Christian here, you can say the same thing. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And Jesus has made all the difference. Here's the point. Your story could make the difference in someone else's life. It can. When Paul said, you should be able to have an answer for everyone, there's the answer. He didn't say, you're to have an answer for every question, because that's not even possible. But here's what I believe. I believe what Paul believed. I believe that there is an answer to everyone, and that answer is your story. I think your story is the answer to everyone. Your story is the answer. Because we can argue about facts. We can argue about figures. We can argue about the translation. We can argue, did it really say this or did it really say this? And how do you interpret it? And then, you know, here's how the Presbyterians believe it. And then the Baptists believe it. And then what about the Catholics? And we can go, we can argue all day long about denominations, about all of this stuff. But here's what people can't argue with. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And Jesus has made all the difference. They can't argue with a life that's been changed. You, can't argue, you can argue about what Jesus did in the Bible, but you can't argue about what Jesus is doing in your life. Because as a Christian, you were once lost, weren't you? Weren't you? You once was blind, but that's not you anymore. Because now you're found. And now you can see. You're a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life has come. Jesus, he's made all the difference. You know, your story may not be as dramatic as Larry's, but here's what I do know. That if you're a Christian, you have a story. And my challenge to you, I've got four challenges I'm going to get to here at the end, but my challenge to you is I want you to tell your story. Let me tell you components of your story. Three parts to your story. It'll be on the screen. The first one is this. The first part of your story, what was your life like before meeting Jesus? What your life was like before meeting Jesus? This is the legion part. Then the second part, how did you meet Jesus? And then the third part, this is the Larry part. What difference has Jesus made in your life? Let me just explain this. How this is, I once was Legion, now I'm Larry. How this works in my life. I grew up in church. I mean, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. My mom dragged me to church. She drugged me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday, Sunday night church. You might remember Sunday night church, dear Jesus, right? I always thought, how come Sunday, night, Sunday morning church can't be more like Sunday night church? Because Sunday night church was fun. I got to wear jeans. I had to dress up in a tie on Sunday morning, and that was just miserable for me, right? Oh, and I just, I, I was at church all the time, and I was a hell raiser. I mean, I, I grew up here in this town. Ask people, right? I can't make this stuff up. Before I was 12 years old, I had read through the entire Bible 12 times. And it wasn't because I loved Jesus. It's because most of my Sunday school teachers were morons. And they didn't ever read the Bible or prepare. 
So I learned all of the holes. I learned all the problems. And I say, you know, I'd, I'd come to them. I'd say, okay, what about the people in Africa? Never heard Jesus. What's going to happen to them? Right? And then, right? And I mean, seriously, you talk to some people, they are still taking counseling because of me. They are. They totally are. But let me tell you about my life. I was miserable, and my job was to make everybody else miserable. Until one night, I met Jesus Christ. And I realized that he didn't want me to be miserable. He wanted me to be his son. He wanted me to become more like him. And something happened in my life. I can't explain it, but he took all that misery away, and he gave me purpose. And since then, I've had hiccups, I've had speed bumps, but I'm telling you, Jesus has made all the difference in my life. That's my story. What's your story? What is your story? Because if you're a Christian, you've got a story. Here's how I'm going to apply this, four different ways. The first one, if you're here and you're like, man, I, I don't know if I've got a story. Or let me challenge you with this question. If you were to die today, would you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would spend eternity with Jesus Christ? Because if your answer is, uh, I think so, that's not the answer God wants you to have. God says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things I've written to those who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. So if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I've been to church and I even got baptized when I was a kid and I was confirmed and all this stuff happened, but I can't, I don't know if I got that story you're talking about. Here's my challenge to you. We're going to have people standing at the back of this wall and they're going to have lanyards on. And my challenge is for you to go and speak to them. I encourage you, you're welcome to go and speak to them once everybody starts moving. You're welcome to do that right now. Do not leave here this morning without an answer to that question. Do you know that you will spend eternity with Jesus? God wants you to know that. God wants you to have a story. Do not leave here. Do not leave here without figuring that out. Here's a second challenge to you. For those of you who are Christ followers, you know that you've got a story, but yet you've not been baptized. Quick question, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Some of you are like, well, okay, I got baptized, you know, when I was a kid. You know, like, I grew up in Episcopalian or the Catholic Church, and they dumped me when I was seven days old or 30 days old, whatever that looks like. Okay, great. But let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that once you, once you begin a relationship with Jesus, and that only happens when you understand the concept that you are a sinner, that you are far away from God, and that Jesus came to die for your sins. If you've made that choice, then you need to be baptized after that fact. So here's how I'm going to challenge you. As we leave, I want you to stay seated. Don't leave here. Stay seated. And what's going to happen is we are going to talk through your baptism story. And here's what we're going to do. This is going to be really cool. One of the things that we do here at One Church is we shoot videos. Every time we, get, we baptize somebody, we shoot a video before they get baptized, and we ask them this question. Share your story. What was your life like before Jesus? 
How did you meet Jesus? And what difference has Jesus made? Let me tell you, you're going to see as we close today's service, we have had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, about 600 now, come to know Jesus Christ and get baptized here at One Church. You want to know what wakes me up every Sunday morning and do you want to be here at 5 o' dark 30? It's that. And you're going to see, and I see people out here, and I see Sid and Regina and Katie and Scotty. All of you guys have been baptized here at One Church. And I'm asking you, for those who haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for? Baptism doesn't save you. But what baptism does, it's going public. It's telling everybody, I love Jesus. Push back on this. For those who, maybe you were dating and you were dating this spouse, and you kept saying, hey, when do I get to see your parents? When do I get to meet your friends? And you're like, you ain't never going to see my parents. You're never going to see my friends, right? If they've said that to you, and if they're embarrassed of you and by you, you know what you should do? Leave the bum. Leave the girl. Because you, people you love, you show off. Let me tell you. I got married 21 years ago this December, and I wear a ring because this ring, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it didn't get me married. But on December 11th, 1993, I said I do, and I did, and it's done, right? And this ring does two things. It lets everybody else know, hey, I'm off the market, ladies. Just saying, <laughs> right? I'm off the market. And you know what else it reminds me? I'm off the market. That's what baptism does. Baptism lets everybody know, I love Jesus. I've switched teams. I'm not Legion anymore. I'm Larry. Third challenge I want to, everybody get out your phones. Get out your phones. This is only going to work if you've got a smartphone. If you've got a flip phone, I apologize. All right? Here's the thing. Get out, get out your phones, and I want you to get on Facebook. Some of you are going, Pastor, I've been on Facebook the whole time you've been speaking. That's fine. I ain't your priest. You ain't got to confess it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to get on Facebook, and I want you to, to write this. Go ahead and throw that up there. I'm challenging everybody. I want you to talk about who invited you to one church. This is what Samantha Larson, she did this a couple days back, didn't you, Sam? She said, I want to thank Parker for bringing me to one church. Jesus has made all the difference, and then put hashtag. By the way, for the people who are a little older like me, that's a pound sign. OneChurch.tv. Do that now. Who invited you to One Church? Let me tell you, as you're doing that, I just want you to listen. You can do that in type. Sam Larson, who invited Sam was Parker. I know Parker very well. She was a great person. Her husband's in the Army. They're now in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma. I love Parker. She used to work with our children's ministry. Well, let me tell you, Parker invited Sam to church. And then Sam invited this person right below her, Dave Thompson, to church. I want to thank Samantha for bringing me to one church. Jesus has made all the difference. Let me tell you a little bit about Dave. Some of you don't know this dude. He's all tatted up. He's a really hairy dude. Three years ago, he was an atheist. And really hated God and wanted to do nothing with God. And Sam invited Dave to one church. And Dave showed up, and he, and he I, this is his story, I'm not going to share all of it. He, he showed up, and his goal was to get people to kind of want to give an excuse to leave church. And everybody just loved on him, and hugged on him, 
And that day, Dave Thompson gave his life to Jesus Christ because Sam invited him, because Parker invited Sam. Let me tell you about Dave now. Dave is on staff at one church. He is, if you have a student, he is teaching your students, middle school and high schoolers. And he is leading other people to follow Jesus. And what, here's what I'm wanting to do as you're tagging this. You're going to see that you're just one link of a longer chain that goes all the way back, all the way back, and that you made a difference. You made a difference. That you made a difference. And that somebody made a difference in you because your story can make a difference in somebody else's story. And the last thing, as we close, my challenge as the band, they're up here, we're going to close a little bit differently. I'm going to ask everybody to come down front, and we have these magnets down front with a bunch of dry erase markers. And here's my challenge for you, peeps. I want you to come down. I want you to grab this magnet, and I want you to write this four blanks. Write the name, four names of people you need to share your story with. Write four people down there that you need to invite to one church. It may be a family member. It may be a family member who's across the world. It may be your neighbor across the street. And then I want you to take these magnets and put them on your refrigerator and pray for those people every day. And you know what else I'm asking you to do? Share your story. Why? Because your story is powerful. Your story can make a difference in somebody else's life. Your story is I once was lost, now I'm found. I once was legion. My name's Larry. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm so thankful that everybody in this room has a past. None of us in here are perfect. All of us have failed. All of us have failed miserably. I'm so grateful for that because it's a reminder of what you can do in somebody's life. It's a reminder of what you can do through weakness. It's a reminder that even though I was addicted to drugs and pornography, even though I was addicted to sex, even though I was addicted to whatever it is out there, that you can have the impact in people's lives. So God, I pray. When I pray for those people who need to begin a story with you today, I pray that as the band plays, they would go to the back and do that. Lord, I pray for those people who need to be baptized, that as everybody's leaving that they would stay there and say, I, this is it. And Lord, I pray for those who are walking forward and saying, you know what? I need to share my story with somebody else. Give them the courage to do that. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.